Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game, the podcast where I, your host, Connor McCabe, bring on a guest to hear from them about a meaningful or memorable video game from a particular moment in their life. On the show, we talk as much about what made playing that game special and memorable and what our guest uh, remembers loving about it as we will get into the context of that time in the, in the life of the person who is bringing on this game today. I've got a bit of housekeeping up top, and the first things first is if uh, my guests, or I, not if, but when my guests and I plug stuff today, uh, you could Google it, but you can also just click an easy link in the show notes, so feel free to scroll down there and find whatever things we share that you are interested in, which I'm going to assume is everything, uh, starting with the social media for our podcast. If you uh, are on social media and you want to interact with us, you can do that a few different places. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. There you can see what episodes we have coming out every week. You can learn a little bit about our guest and how you can support them if they've got other things going on on the internet as well. And you can see the cool art I make for every episode. Uh, you can also support the show a few different ways. You can leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you leave one somewhere that's not Apple Podcasts, feel free to share that with me because uh, those, podca uh, those podcast reviews not only mean a lot to me to read and see what people are enjoying and favorite episodes and stuff like that, but they help more people find us. Um uh, and then uh, you can also share the show with a friend, whether they love video games in general or the game we've brought on for the main event today. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, where if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, there is a video version that exists as well, where you can see what I look like, the room I record in, the game I've decided to put on the shelf behind me, uh, which who knows if I'm even playing it. Um, but yeah, check us out on YouTube as well. Uh, and lastly, you can check us out on Patreon. We're over at patreon.com slash super NPC radio, where you can find, uh, if you like me, a bunch of bonus podcasts that I'm on on that network that I helped found a few years ago. Uh, and one of the main events that you get there by supporting us each month is our games club series. Uh, and I don't believe that we... Now, we must have had this figured out by this by last time's recording. But if you're listening to this now, we have started our Resident Evil 2 remake uh, Games Club series where we're going through that uh, with a fine tooth comb uh, for about 10 weeks. And it'll take us to the end of the year. And those episodes come out every Friday. So if you love that game or you're interested in playing something scary right now, uh, check us out there. That'll do it for the housekeeping. And I finally can introduce our guest for this episode. So please welcome podcaster Drew Mackey. Hello, thank you for having me, Connor. You are so welcome. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that you are wearing a Toronto Blue Jays t-shirt. It's a wonderful uh, baby blue. I wanted, I'm gonna just dig into that right now. Are you a Blue Jays fan? Were you like, that shirt looks nice and I'm gonna get that. I've gotta know the story. It belongs to a guy I dated a long time ago. It is very shrunken from many washings and doesn't yes. really fit me any well. Today's laundry day. And I sort of didn't think about that until we were sitting down to record and was like, oh yeah, there's a video element to this. It's fine. So you're seeing me wearing something I would normally do like chores in. Yes. Um, I am aware that the Blue Jays are a baseball team. I've never been to Toronto. I have no particular affiliation towards them or any other baseball team other than the Dodgers, but that's because I like to drink beer in the daylight and therefore I like going to Dodger Stadium. That makes sense. Uh, 
A, thank you for giving me such a thorough rundown. And B, uh, after asking you now, I realize you may have, you know, because we had talked about the video element earlier, you may have been like, oh, no, what if this gets asked about? And it happened. It didn't not really occur to me until this was starting and then we're just, we're just in it now. So um, now I've revealed that I don't particularly like baseball, but I do like beer. Hey, there we go. Uh, one, you know, one B out, one B in. That's mm -hmm. I think that's how it goes. But um, Drew, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to you about all sorts of stuff, uh, and mostly, I assume, video game related. Uh, but um, I always talk about how I know my guest on the show. You and I have become familiar recently um, because we both guested on the same episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, where we helped our friends Patrick and Mark rank their hobby horses. Um, and, you know, now that we're a few weeks away from that experience, uh, uh, what what are your feelings on that at this point? We are best friends, number one. You and Amen. I. Um, number two, I thought we did a great job. Um, and then I, it's really funny too. I don't know if Mark used this word when he was discussing it with you. Um, the, the phrase he used with me was pod cucking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which I, he took, he did not use on Mike because they have a G rated podcast and is it, this is not a G rated podcast, I assume, right? Correct. Okay. Um, which I think it was really interesting to be invited to podcuck someone in such a public space. Yes. Um, and thoroughly enjoyable. But I'm still stung by that person on Discord who did not like what we did. Yes. I was so – I mean, look, I guess, you know, you you have a popular podcast. Like, we both do shows. Um, you never know when someone is going to find, like, a particular – or like develop a particular disdain for an episode or a voice or whatever. And I was surprised by that too, but I guess, you know, it can happen. Yeah, we're, we're not the right uh, pair for that person. Um, I thought we did a really good job. Me like, too. An, uh, excellent, an excellent job, if I can say that. Especially considering the task at hand. I, I think we even maybe discussed that like immediately after the show, but that was a tall task of ranking our friends like co most common topics that they bring up on the show base in a basic uh, way to describe it. And going into it, I was extremely nervous, but coming out of it, I just I was really proud of us. And that's what, you know, bonded us and, you know, now being best friends. Best friends. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how we know each other and how we've become a little familiar recently. But what do you want to share about yourself with the listener? What are you up to outside of this show? So I have my own podcast that is not about video games, even though I love video games a lot. Uh, it is called Gayest Episode Ever, and my co-host and I talk about gay episodes of classic sitcoms. Not just gay, but like lesbian, bisexual, trans episodes of classic sitcoms. And um, we've done like more than 200 episodes, which wow. seems like a lot. And it's really weird to reflect on that. But um, it is a very similar muscle going very deep on a sitcom that maybe no one gives a shit about <laughs> and trying to find reasons why, hey, actually, this is worth your time. Here's why it is worth your consideration if you've always dismissed it. Sort of a similar vibe to what NCS does and also so what this podcast does. Like you're asking people for their deep digs, like come in with something that's meaningful to them. Yeah. That's actually my favorite sort of guest to have on is like pick something that you think no one else cares about and then like try to convince the audience that it is a value. Totally. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, have you, I haven't looked down the the catalog of gayest episode ever. Have you done an episode uh, about community yet? We haven't because Ooh. we tend 
to do stuff. My favorite stuff is stuff that aired before uh, the 2000s. Yes. Because the more standard sitcom something is, it's easier to compare it to like I Love Lucy mm. um, than it is like when you get into 30 Rock and like Modern Family and Community, things don't feel like a sitcom anymore, even though they're still doing the job of being funny. Yes. And it is not only a different beast to talk about critically, they p pack so much more in because there's cutaways and of the amount of like clips I have to put in and the amount of explanation we have to do is just add to the runtime. So you're wow. doing a lot more, like if it's like the honeymooners, they're on one set the entire time. Yeah. They don't move from it. It's very, you don't have to set up very much, but like um, community plays more like family guy than it does like an old timey sitcom. And there's just a lot to those structurally, but um, yeah, we got to do either the one where Britta, thinks she's dating a woman who turns out is also straight and thinks yes. of her as a lesbian or any Dean episode. But there's so many Dean episodes that I'm almost overwhelmed by like, where do we even start? Like, it's, yeah. he's, he's such a complicated person. I, it's like so early on in that. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for answering the question. Um, it, that is a tall. You're no stranger to tall tasks, Drew, when it comes to podcasting. Um, yeah, that episode, I think it's in season one where he's. He's like watching like uh, some Dalmatian like dance video and he says, I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. <laughs> That's maybe not the first time we get a hint of what's to come for the Dean, but it is a memorable one. But uh, um, do you have a particular like episode that you're like, oh, I think this is a standout one we've done that you would point someone to if they were jumping into your podcast? Yeah. So episode 10 is something that aired during the first season of Cheers where the locals at the bar think that there are gay men hanging out in the bar and they mostly have a really negative reaction and Shelley Long's character has to try to explain why they're being stupid and she actually does a really good job oh, of wow. demonstrating how a straight person can be an ally mm -hmm. how, like how you're not overreaching and you're not injecting yourself in a situation that isn't your fight uh, she's just a really 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 good example of how to adv advocate for a group that you're not part of and it's also just a really well-written episode and cheers makes me so happy to watch so that is like our go-to for like, this is a great episode of tv yeah i will also direct people towards an episode of mr belvedere where mr belvedere discourages a teenager from being gay and it's the weirdest fucking thing in the world oh, to watch no. because you're like wait he's like telling him he's like no i don't think you're actually gay and the kid's like you're right mr belvedere thanks and it's oh my god such a weird piece of media where you're like who is this for who wrote this why does this exist made all the more complicated by the fact that the actor who played mr belvedere was himself a very closeted gay man oh wow dang those yeah. are some interesting like uh two sides of a of a possible coin there for great episodes um that's fantastic uh the last thing i'll ask you about your show because you said you've done uh 200 or so episodes at this point yeah. um when did you uh start your podcast oh again asking you things i could have just looked up myself i think we started in 2018 cool awesome um well Thank you for sharing about your show. Gayest episode ever. I'm, I'm going to have a link in the show notes for people to uh, go to your podcast and uh, just start diving in. Is there anything else that you want to uh, share about yourself, podcast related or not, um, before we continue? So my video game stuff, that's not good phrasing. Um, <laughs> since I've been online, I've been like writing about video games or doing stuff about video games. And um, that currently is taking the form of a... 
I call it a website because I don't want to just call it a blog. It's a blog. I made like an old fashioned blog um, that is called Thrilling Tales of Old Video Games. And I just do deep dives about historical stuff from like usually 8-bit to 16-bit era stuff, just mm. trying to unpack stuff. I just put one up this morning about Barbarella and Metroid and Whoa. how uh, the motif of like that thing in a video game where you don't know you're playing as a girl character until the end of the game when she's like, oh, no, it turns out I was a girl the entire time. Yeah. Might sort of go back to Barbarella. And um, I just think that kind of stuff is super interesting. Mm. But also I used to have a different podcast that I technically didn't end, but some people who listen to this might know. Um, it's called Singing Mountain. It's a video game music podcast that I did like for a few years. There's like more than a hundred episodes. And, um, so there's some people who are video game podcast people who know me from that, who don't listen to the TV podcast. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Uh, just Singing Mountain is the title you said? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, gosh, we got some like good stuff to dive into. So we've got um, Gayest Episode Ever, Singing Mountain, and Thrilling Tales from Old Video Games, which is your uh, website. Yep. Uh, website, we're not describing it as a blog, whether or not it's exactly what it is. Uh, that's really exciting. Um, I'll include links to to all three of those uh, in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for uh, sharing about yourself before we pop in. Um, speaking of which, um, we're going to get to your history with video games in general, but I would love if you introduce the game you've brought on for today's main event later and call me by your game. The name of the video game that I'm bringing on today is Trials of Mana, which is maybe better known to a lot of people as Seekers and Setsu 3, but is informally known as Secret of Mana 2. It's really complicated. Yes. Uh, the, the, the Wikipedia page today points you towards Trials of Mana, yes. which I think is actually also Mana, but I always have pronounced it Mana. I listened to your episode with Nadia, and she yeah. consistently called it Mana every time. I'm like, I know that's right, but my stupid American brain is like, Mana, M-A-N-A, Mana. That's how you, that's how you say it. So you, Secret of Mana 2. I do the same thing with with that exact word or or words that like Ocarina of Time is one of my favorite games. And I've heard myself on podcasts say Ocarina. Uh, it's, you know, our brains will do what they'll do. Uh, but I'm so excited to hear from uh, you about that game in our main event later. Let's get into your history with video games in general. Do you remember some of your earliest memories of taking an interest in games? Yes. Uh, when I was in first grade, so this is 1988, I think, um, we got a Nintendo for Christmas and I initially hated it because the only game we had was Super Mario Brothers and I was bad at it oh. because I did not have the dexterity to keep Mario from falling in a hole constantly. But I kept trying with it and eventually did beat it, but still had like a adversarial relationship with it because I thought it was so mean. <laughs> um, but then we got Mario 2, which is a much easier play. And there are fewer holes. And uh, you can also play as the princess. And that really sold me on Mario. And from then on, I was like, I think I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I have. Wow. Um, Super Mario Brothers 2. I also had such a love for that game growing up and i feel like it injected like i love one but i felt like two injected even though you know i mean it's said it been said a million times it's uh it's a reskin of a different game um called doki doki panic but i feel like it injected so much personality in the series that stuck uh and that was one thing that like i remember loving about it as a kid so uh toadstool was like your go-to character Yes, which I didn't realize at the time is because she's basically the beginner character because yeah. it's a lot oh, easier okay. to time jumps because like it's easier to control where you land and not fall in the hole with her. 
And I was like, oh, that was like the Game Genie version of playing this game. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Um, but I didn't think about it that way. I just knew I always was the kid who wanted to play as the female characters, like in Street Fighter. Yeah. And I was like, Chun-Li, obviously, Mortal Kombat. I am Sonya, obviously. Uh -huh. And um, only kind of stopped doing that as I got older, actually. Um, but I just thought it was cool when female characters got to do something. Totally. Uh, especially, you know, I, I mean, in so many, so much media, but especially video games like the, the, you know, female video game characters or protagonist or playable characters are severely outnumbered. I was actually doing research for the game we're going to talk about a little later and something that people kept uh, that I kept seeing expressed online was an appreciation that there are protagonists in this game and not just like, oh, you're the main character and you're you're like first playable uh partner is a female character but that this one has other options for you um yeah uh that's so cool uh so um you uh you got this nintendo um were you sharing this with people was this like your nintendo it was my brother's nintendo and it very quickly mm. became my nintendo as he just sort of didn't latch onto it as strongly huh. as i did so i sort of yeah just uh um snuck in there and claimed it Nice. Uh, that's very fortunate. Me and my sister had such different interests growing up that like I, I never it was very rare for one of us to get like a shared gift that like one of us that we both might be interested in, but only ended up with one of us. So uh, good going for you. Do you remember other um, early games on that console or even another one that uh, helped sort of like enrich that uh, appreciation for games? So I was always like i have weird brand loyalty when it comes to companies so i just bought nintendo products mm -hmm. and did buy some non-nintendo games like some of the capcom uh like disney adventures that came out um or platformer games oh yeah good um and then the original final fantasy for nes um and um gosh what the hell else we had like 30 games by the time we were done with the Nintendo. Wow. And then I got a Super Nintendo and that really was mine from the beginning. And that just kind of cemented everything that was forming about like, video games might be a thing I like. I really love that system. And that is why the game I picked comes from that system because that is sort of my go-to for like, this is what a video game should look and feel like today. Yes. And when you, when you say that, are you talking about like uh, classic JRPGs from the SNES era or just games in general? Games in general. So I was mm -hmm. a platformer, fighting game person, and RPG person. And those all had great runs on the Super Nintendo. And more than anything, as like time went on, I really got into JRPGs. And the ones that came out for the end of that system, I think, are... Some of the most beautiful pixel art we got, especially because we sort of stopped getting pixel art as frequently when the next generation of systems came out. And I think any video game on any system can look good, but those pixel art graphics in this game and like other Squaresoft games that came out, like they're just so good and they are the aesthetic that I'm like yearning for constantly. Yes, uh, that's something that I can relate to quite strongly. Having not grown up with a super nintendo i i adore it uh, it was a console that my friend had growing up and so because i was like a original nintendo to n64 kid somehow uh i mean i know how but we don't need to dive into it on your episode i've already made this about myself enough uh i would go over there and see him turn on uh final fantasy 6 i would see him turn on super mario rpg or 
other JRPGs of that era. And like there was that nostalgia from just seeing those images stays with me today. Um, uh, no, uh, you said you played the original Final Fantasy and I know we're getting into like a little JRPG heavy talk right now. Um, but uh, what was like your other games on the system that you played JRPG wise or was there like a gateway one outside of Final Fantasy one? So I played, I rented the first Dragon uh, Quest, which was called Dragon Warrior on the NES. And I wasn't smart enough to figure out, like I didn't understand what the leveling up system was because I'd never mm. played an RPG before. So that was a pass for me. And then um, Nintendo sent out like a massive, Nintendo Power sent out a massive strategy guide for Final Fantasy um, in lieu of a regular issue for one month. So oh, it's wow. like, here's how to play the entire game. I'm like, okay. So I bought the game and with that guide's help, I could get through it. And then it was like, oh, this is good but didn't really play that many RPGs on regular Nintendo. Most, I think uh, by that time I knew Super Nintendo was coming and the game that we now call Final Fantasy IV was coming. I was like, that, give me that. Yeah. And then played a bunch of other stuff, but like I was always going back to uh, RPGs and Squaresoft RPGs in particular. So like, um, like, like the, everyone you, you'd imagine, like Chrono Trigger and the original Secret of Mana and uh everything yeah yeah uh that's great two was like or final fantasy 2 slash 4 was also like my gateway to really the genre outside of the original pokemon games uh personally um so you were a big super nintendo head uh did you get into handhelds ever yeah we had a game boy and we just had regular game boy and i didn't have anything else until game boy advance came out Okay, gotcha. Which, you know, that was probably really nice for you because there's a ton of uh, SNES ports on that bad boy. Yeah, it was very nostalgic because I was in college and I'm like, am I still going to play video games? And that came out and I'm like, I guess I am. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, oh, and of course, launch title, your beloved Super Mario Brothers 2 was on there. Um, Talking way too much. <laughs> those, like, those voices are pretty tough uh, at this day and age. Lots of that. Um, okay, so I would love to hear from you about other meaningful games after this uh, era for you uh, and what your journey was like. Did you jump right to the Nintendo 64? I would love to hear. I got a Nintendo 64, I think, probably 96. So like, I guess pretty early on yeah. when it was happening. And liked mario 64 but it wasn't the same because i think my brain had already set for like this is what feels right to me mm -hmm. and um polygons never quite did it for me the way like really good pixel art did i felt like they had just figured out how to use pixel art to convey so much and then it went away for a while and yeah. it took us a while to get back to it so i played through all of the major nintendo games that came out on nintendo 64 and i liked it but i missed what I was missing and it uh that's honestly still what I'm searching out so I'll, I'll be brave and try something else but I always go back to the familiar totally did that cause you at all to be interested in the and I know that there was still a ton of polygon and 3d design in the PlayStation RPGs but did you ever test any of those out were you interested I got a PlayStation eventually to play Legend of Mana, which gotcha. is the next game in this series. And then retroactively went back and played Final Fantasy VII and I didn't like it and I've never liked it. And wow. I didn't finish it. I got like to the last disc and I'm like, eh, I'm good. Yeah. Um, but like played like Chrono Cross. Um, I really liked Final Fantasy Tactics, but that's mm -hmm. pixel art and not 
uh, polygons. Yes. And um, whenever Final Fantasy goes back to being what it used to be, I always like it more, but I'm not so much of a millennial that I'm insisting on. It has to be that. Otherwise, I'm out. I've got, I, I realize I have to try to try, try to adapt. But um, that was actually the last non-Nintendo system I bought. Um, by the time I got a GameCube in college and then Wii, Wii U, and now Switch. And I just, I'm such, I'm such a simp for Nintendo. It's really ridiculous and sad how like, <laughs> they tricked me into thinking I can only buy their products. Yes, uh, the console wars truly worked on uh, on you. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so, I mean, you named like consoles I would have probably asked you about. But in, in this, I, what I like to hear from people on occasion is, especially people who've been gaming seemingly your entire life, do you, have you ever had a big lull or a dark period, as I like to call it, where you're playing, uh, not playing games at all, or much less than you uh, have? Yeah, I'm in one right now. Um, it is actually, I just had really shit luck with latching onto video games lately, yeah. where like a lot of stuff comes out. I'm like, oh, that's probably going to be for me. I liked Triangle Strategy, yes. Triangle Story. I can't remember what it's called. That one I did, but I like Final Fantasy Tactics, so of course I like that. Um, and I beat that one. But there's been a lot of flashy games that have come out in the last few years that I just never latched onto and gave up. I have played through Breath of the Wild twice and have given up. To, I'm just like, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it doesn't grab me because I think A Link to the Past is what Zelda is for me. And Breath of the Wild is a beautiful game. It's just a different beast than what I'm looking for. Yes. So when they come back and do another Link to the Past like they did a few years ago, I'll play that. But I just have to accept that a lot of things aren't for me. Have you played Sea of Stars at all? No. Um, yeah. But I, I think I saw you chatting about it on Discord a bit. Yeah, I hate it. Um, I really, really don't like it in the way. There's actually a pretty good comparison for um, the game we're talking about in this episode. Um, so we never got this game in America in the 16-bit yes. era. We got Secret of Evermore instead, which was produced by Americans. Yes, And it's a Secret of Mana style game that I played and beat, but it didn't ever feel right because it's like, this is not, it's missing something that I guess might just be an authentically Japanese vibe that they can make over there and we can't reproduce in America. But I never loved that the way I love this game or the previous game. And um, similarly, Sea of Stars, it's sort of like Chrono Trigger, but it's not really... Yeah. And a lot of people were like, it it's like a the spiritual sequel to Chrono Trigger that we never really got. And the gameplay is great, but like the vibe is just off for me and like this is not clicking and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play it anymore. Yeah, that's one that I coming into the year was like, oh, this is on my top list of anticipated games. And for like I don't know what happened, but when it came out i just like it's not like i had heard a lot because i've heard uh, people express similar things to you uh as well and then other people who've like really enjoyed it but for whatever reason i didn't have the urgency to play it when it came out that i had like i don't know eight nine months before um so it's to you it feels like the vibe is off but um is there anything else that you can point to that you're like um this is bumping for you on that game um 
Okay, so this also applies to what we're talking about today. So when you play Seeking Desetsu 3, or whatever the hell you're going to call it, you get to your opening screen when you start a new game, and you have to pick a party of three out of six characters. Okay. And I sort of knew a little bit about the characters leading into it, and I really agonized over which ones to pick, because I liked all of them, and you don't get to see the storylines of the people you don't pick. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is like kind of torturous. Like it kind of changes the game. Like you get a different boss and a different path depending on mm. who you pick. And when you start Sea of Stars, it tells you like you can pick the boy character or the girl character. It doesn't matter which one you pick. And I was huh. like, what, 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 why would you, why would you tell me that? Like it's really weird to find that there's no stakes in either character. And the characters, once I started playing the game, are not written particularly. Yeah. With personality, like the ones in this game are and it's just not what i'm looking for turns totally out. yeah yeah that's um like one of my good friends and past guests of the show mike Steele, who actually talked for the longest episode of this podcast ever two and a half hours about, oh, wow. about final fantasy six um oh, yeah. I, I get it yeah uh probably could have done more honestly uh for him but he was the he's the person i think of who was like when it came out he was so excited and it disappointed him in similar ways that you're expressing as well so that's uh that's too bad um i i think it's still something i would give a shot um but i'm not like i'm not like oh i need to play this before the end of the year sort of uh uh feeling anymore the, the um, play mechanics are excellent. I can't fault the play mechanics. Yeah. It's everything else that doesn't come together for me, which okay. it turns out is very important for me in the game experience. Yeah. I I had a similar sort of like revelation in the last couple of years where um, I, which this is going to, it might sound stupid, but I didn't realize how much a uh, story mattered to me in video games, yeah. uh, certain types of games. Like I could play a Mario game. I don't, I'm not going to probably be overly concerned, but I realized when looking at the Legend of Zelda series that for me, one of the top factors was how much do I connect or, uh, or enjoy a story. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, so it sounds like it could, I could be in a similar situation as you with this game. Um, well, uh, I got a couple more questions for you about your history with video games. Uh, the first of which is that obviously Sea of Stars has come and passed for you. Is there a game on the horizon, whether it's the rest of this uh, uh, remainder of this year or later or next year that you are looking forward to? This is such a like, this is the like most slam dunk answer ever. Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Like I see this All game, right. like, this is for me, especially because I was someone who loved Mario 2 a lot. Yeah. And in some ways this seems like a return to that where they're like, yeah, let's make uh, like multiple playable characters and it's weird and colorful in a way that like the new Super Mario Brothers games have it. I'm just like on fire for this game in a way that um, I haven't felt in a long time. I'll be surprised if I don't like it. I'll probably like it. Nintendo usually works for me. So yeah, I've yeah. been pretty excited about it since the trailer. Like I like this isn't founded in anything substantive, but it I like how strange it appears and not just for, you know, being quirky and different, but they're little and I've kind of stayed away from uh, most of the information about the game because I'm just going to go for it. But there's so much about it that seems uh, new and refreshing and fun. And yeah, can't wait for that game. Yeah, like I, I could not imagine a more ideal game for me. Yes. Um. Last question for you is before we go to break, uh, is there any game uh, in, you know, your history of gaming that you would just be so bummed if you didn't get to shout out? I guess 
I would say, given the time of year we're recording this, this is going to run before Halloween, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Darkstalkers is um, oh. such a weird little baby in Capcom that I don't think Capcom loves enough, but uh, I love it a lot. And um, it has some of the best design I've ever seen in a video game, like yeah. animation and just like the design of these characters is iconic in a way that bums me out because we'll probably never see them done again in that like hand-drawn style because it's just um, not what people are looking for. They're probably looking for like a Street Fighter, Street Fighter five or six style yeah um like setup if we ever get another dark stalkers but um those those freaky fighting monsters i love them so much what did that come out for was that a saturn game or genesis it's saturn so it was arcades so it was um three different installments in the arcades and then ports on like whatever playstation on and uh that's it and now it basically it exists whenever they put those characters in like other games like marvel versus capcom but um oh. it's just kind of in a weird limbo and i wish it would come back because um it, almost, it allegedly almost did and they changed their mind about it which is a bummer but um there's a character in street fighter 5 named fang mm -hmm. the do you know what i'm talking about i think so he's like a tall skinny guy who uses poison yes and he's really weird looking and a lot of people think that that was a repurposed darkstalkers design like they oh. were working on some new darkstalker stuff and when they were told nope we're not going to make that game they repurposed him as a street fighter character oh wow gosh uh what a great pick uh, you had mentioned that like you know you were really into fighting games so i'm glad that we got to hear you really shout one out uh that's great well uh, Drew, we're going to go ahead and uh, take a quick break before we come back and talk about all things uh, Trials of Mana, Seiken Densetsu 3, so I'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Call Me By Your Game. It is, of course, I, your host, Connor McCabe, here with Drew Mackey. Uh, Drew, welcome back. Hello. We are going to finally get into the game you've brought on for the main event today, Trials of Mana, Second Densetsu 3. Um, and like I told you before, I'm just going to read some basic history and context about this game to get us into it. Uh, but at any time, if you want to jump in to help set the table, you got the green light, pal. All right, here we go. So, Trials of Mana, also known by its Japanese title, Seiken Densetsu 3, is a 1995 action RPG developed and published by Square for the Super Famicom. Uh, it's the sequel to the 1993 game Secret of Mana uh, and is the third installment in the series. Set in a high fantasy world, the game follows three heroes as they attempt to claim the legendary Mana Sword and prevent the Benevodons from being unleashed and destroying the world. And when we say three main characters, I'm already I'm breaking from the script here. Um, we're referring to the three characters you can choose from the six, correct? Yes. Uh, like you start out with that opening screen and you may have no information, so you might be basing these just on looks and like yes. what you perceive their sort of attack style to be yes yeah it's not like it gives you a little like rundown as you like uh, hover over a character um 
uh, like like we said, um, there are six possible main characters with three main plot lines as well. Uh, each has their own storyline and allows uh, two players to play simultaneously. Uh, Trials of Mana uh, builds on the gameplay of its predecessors with uh, a predecessor with multiple enhancements, including the use of a time progression system with transitions from day to night and weekday to weekday in game time. Uh, I'm learning about that right now just reading that from this uh wikipedia uh entry that i'm pulling from uh that's really cool uh it also had a wide range of character classes to choose from which provides each character with an exclusive set of skills and status progression uh the game was designed by series creator koichi ishii uh directed by veteran square designer hiromichi tanaka and produced by tetsu T- uh, excuse me tetsuhisa Surozono. Artworks produced by manga and anime artist Nobutero Yuki. uh, And while the music was composed by Secret of Mana composer uh, Hiroki Kikuda. Uh, Although the game was designed uh, or was published only in Japan, English speaking players had been able to play this game due to an unofficial English fan translation released in 1999. Um, There's so much that I would be asking you about here, but I'm sure we're going to get into it in your, uh, in your, uh, your time with the game so i'm pocketing a few questions drew um this game received considerable acclaim from reviewers who praised the graphics as among the best ever made for the super famicom and the gameplay as an improved version of its predecessors uh the plot received mixed reviews by critics who found the overlapping stories to be interesting uh and to enhance replayability but the characters and plotline themselves uh according to the critics to be flat and cliched more on that later we'll have to hear from drew uh overall the game is considered uh to be a classic of the system in June 2017, the game was included in the uh, second Densetsu collection release for the Nintendo Switch in Japan, and it also came out in 2019 in North America in the PAL region as Collection of Mana, um, with this game titled Trials of Mana. Uh, and a 3D remake of the same name was al- announced alongside it and released uh, worldwide in April 2020 for Windows, Switch, and PS4. Drew, that was a lot of information that I just threw out there. Um, as far as setting the table, is there anything else we should we should uh, get into before we talk about your history with the game? Um, I'll talk about the characters and the way they set cool. up the six characters in opposition to each other. So uh, this is something I knew because I was a big reader of gaming magazines in the 90s, which were plentiful. There was like eight different gaming magazines at my local grocery store and live in a i grew up in a small town in central california so i'm not even like pulling like big city like numbers in terms of like what sort of stuff is available but um you are injected into the beginning of the story and you pick six different characters you are shown six different characters and a pair of each of them is at war with each other so you have um the grass kingdoms at war with the snow kingdom the desert kingdoms at war with the holy city which is a really awkward thing when you think about the visual optics of what it means for a desert city to be at war with the holy city truly and then um no wait desert city is at war with mountain city i think maybe i screwed that up and then um Beast Kingdom is at war with. There's there's, there's the sixth one. And um, the six characters you get are um, a really hunky guy with a sword, a ninja who has two knives, and then a beast boy who fights with claws, but at night yes. he turns into a werewolf. So I'm like, that is who I'm picking because yes. werewolf. Kevin. And then, 
Kevin. He's my by far my favorite. Um, a sexy girl who casts magic, a really cute girl who casts white magic, and a very stern-looking Amazon who was mysterious. And I'm like, her, I want to know what her deal is. Yeah. And then I had one more spot remaining, and I was absolutely tortured over which of the four remaining characters I would pick, knowing full well that when I finished the game, I would just play it again with the other three immediately afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Uh, yeah, That you. we were talking about this a little bit earlier with you know getting into the sea of stars talk but man that's a tough choice unlike you know something modern like octopath traveler where you eventually get every character that's a tough decision Mm -hmm. um so uh do you remember i mean no we're getting into this a little bit but you went with kevin you went with amazon girl reese and then the last one was Hawkeye, who's Ninja, because Ninja and Amazon Girl are at war with each other, and the game is more entertaining when you put characters who fight with each other in the same party, because then they interact with each other in a way other characters wouldn't. The level of interaction is pretty limited. I mean, it doesn't affect the game that much, but um, it's it's an added flavor if you know how to balance your party correctly. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, um, Let's get into this. Uh, I'd love to know how you discovered the game. I think you was was that to do with reading the gaming magazines? Yeah, so I yes. love Secret of Mana like passionately. I love Final Fantasy and I love Zelda and this felt like a nice fusion between the two. And so when I learned there was a sequel, I was very excited. And then eventually they're like, oh, it's not coming out here. And I was like, what the fuck? How <laughs> is this happening? Uh, I'd not experienced a whole lot of bad stuff because I'm like maybe 12 when that yeah. happened. And I I don't think like a show I really loved had ever been canceled or anything like that, where I'm just like, the world is unfair and horrible. <laughs> but um, it was really confusing for me to be like, oh, I guess I'm just never going to play this thing that seems like it's like made specifically for me. Yeah, that is a bummer. And also, it sort of um, happened the same time I was transitioning from uh, into high school, which was a rough transition for me. Mm. So it was a real... Um, it was like the icing on the cake, but the cake is poison, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. When it rains, it pours sort of thing. When it rains, it pours shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so cool. So you discovered it. It wasn't, you know, in the cards for you. How did you come to play it in the first place after this um, blow you were dealt? So um, the internet was pretty new to me. And I was learning about like uh, different fan communities for people who love the video games I like. And there were tutorials about like, if you want to play the sequel to Secret of Mana, here's how you do it. And I ended up going into one of the um, advertisements they used to have at the back of like, I think this one was in Die Hard Game Fan, which is a magazine history back in the day. And they would have um, import shops where you could buy things that had not come officially to America and uh, they would explain how to, they would give you the equipment to play these cartridges that wouldn't necessarily fit into your American systems on an American system. And it took some doing, but this is what I got for Christmas. Even though I basically just ordered it myself. This is what I got from Santa. Yes. That year, <laughs> um, which was uh, the Japanese cartridge and then um, a little plastic converter that allowed me to put it into my Super Nintendo and play it in Japanese, which I did not speak and still don't speak. Um, so when I talk about, it's more fun to put characters who fight amongst each other in the same party. I am basing that on having played the fan translation, like when I was in college, sure. but, um, and then I, I did, I did it again when I moved to LA, like maybe a decade ago, but, um, I, 
had this really weird experience of like, okay, I have the game here in my house. I'm going to play it, but I, I don't really know what's going on yeah. because I don't speak Japanese. So I'm just getting like all this text is flying by. I'm like, I don't know what anyone's saying. <laughs> so I'm just sort of going on online guides and trial and error to figure out how to play through this game. And I did okay. And I learned some basic Japanese like menu commands that are easy mm. to like, oh, that's yes, that's no. This is what save looks like. Uh, I think I'm good to go. And I still kind of remember what those look like. But um, I think one of the reasons I really latch onto this as the pinnacle of visual storytelling from the 16-bit era is that I didn't have the text to bolster my playthrough of at the time. So you, that review said that like the uh, characters were like cliche. Sure, yeah. I didn't know that at the time. I am <laughs> just watching the text fly by. And since it's 16-bit, the characters are pretty well animated. So I can see how they're reacting to something and i'm like oh something bad has happened now because the music went from triumphant to sad yeah and i don't know what happened all of a sudden like oh this character just fell down and they're flashing which is a 16-bit rpg for like oh they're dead they're, go they're, yes. they're, they're gone now <laughs> i was like oh okay they died i don't know why i will just continue to experience this game on the most abstract level possible yes also uh i got a good real good really good feel for the mechanics because there was kind of is like mechanics sound and visuals and there's no other element that i'm really experiencing of this Does that yeah. make sense yeah, absolutely yeah. um you must have like uh really been enjoying what you were able to uh in, in you know i guess interpret or experience uh if because that's a barrier of entry obviously but you stuck with it did you end up playing this thing all the way through or is it like you tried your best or yeah, the guides online were good enough that I eventually it took a long time and there was some frustration, honestly. Um, but I made my way through and beat the game and then played it through again with the other three characters to see what I was missing. And then played through, there's three different bosses you can get. And I picked, I think, the last remaining kid uh, that I hadn't picked before to get the last boss. So I played through all three different versions of the story and experienced it um, just in like such a weird way yeah. but also like high school like high school was not great for me because i got sent to an all guys catholic school that was like an hour away from where i lived oh, so wow. like i was waking up early and then like the people i was going to school with were far away from me so it wasn't really uh the social interaction that i thought i was gonna get out of high school because yeah. i was so far away and um i think my frustration with like, oh God, high school sucks, is what gave me the momentum to like push through this very difficult mm. abstract gameplay experience um, as a way of like escaping like the sadness of like the rest of my life wasn't going so well either. Totally. But it was actually sort of rewarding in the end to be like, oh, I fucking did it. And then eventually I transferred out of high school and my life turned out to be a lot better. Oh, I'm glad you were able to do that. That stinks. Um yeah. Uh, and yeah, it makes sense that you're like, Hey, like this is at least better than that. Uh, what I've got going on at school. I can't imagine like, yeah, I mean, let alone going to a school that it sounds like you didn't want to go to that was like, it's not like you're, yeah. Like you were getting to basically, you didn't live in the same neighborhoods as these other kids. Even if you maybe were making friends, like it's not like you could keep them that well socially. Um, no and i grew up in the country anyway so like even in the town i did live in we didn't live in city limits i lived kind of in the boonies so yeah uh this was like probably like the climax of using video games as a means to like deal with the fact that like i'm sort of isolated yeah um, 
which is probably why I played through this game again when I moved to Los Angeles and was like, well, I live in Los Angeles now. I don't know anyone. Um, I'm going to go back to this comforting thing and give it another shot. Yeah. In a like similar but different situation of that isolation, is that what you were getting to? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just as a comfort thing until I learned how to live in this city and like navigate the city, which um, was honestly easier than high school. Good. I'm I'm glad that it got a little easier. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's amazing. Um, I would love to just dig in a little bit to like you know you using these guides to play the game. Mm-hmm. Was this something that you would like have up on a computer? Were you printing out old game facts? How what was the method here? Um, I don't know that if game facts existed as a website yeah i don't know if i was on it necessarily because it was this was web ring level um internet where um it was on like people's like geocities pages that were donated okay. to like uh squaresoft squaresoft video games or something like that um and sometimes those facts would be like orange text on a blue background, like something that someone made themselves without the slightest hint of like uh, web design. <laughs> yeah. And I was using those and just sort of skipping around. I was really bad. Like my internet research skills basically didn't exist at that point. So it very well could be that I just hadn't found GameFAQs yet, but I wasn't even accessing them through GameFAQs. But yeah, basically that um, and message boards and um, like I'm in this town, it's this color. I don't know how to describe the characters that uh, are in the town name, um, but I feel like everyone is sad and there's like a blue thing that's angry at me. What do I do? Yeah. I'm gonna be like, here's what you do. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you, internet. Thank you, strange internet person. Um, and have never been able to locate those uh, message boards or websites that I was interacting with, but uh, I'm very grateful for those people that helped me through it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure it took a bit of patience on your end too to like be, there was like, multiple layers of you having to figure out what you were doing and find it uh mm-hmm. through this help so um it took a lot i'm sure it took a lot of patience uh i would love to know there's a few more things i want to ask you um uh before we dive into more of the like context and like where you played it and stuff um were there other aspects of the game whether it be this first couple run-throughs you had or something or or, or from like a future playthrough um aspects of the game that you really enjoyed or that still stick out to you yes um like on the most simplistic level the fact that like i was like didn't know how to like exist in high school when it came out i was jealous of the fact that the characters made friends so easily yeah. of being like oh let's travel together like okay like we don't know each other but okay let's just be friends like okay i was like they're doing it really well and i can't figure out how to do that in life. <laughs> but that's always an rpg thing um i think the thing I would want to direct everyone to if they want to watch a playthrough of this game is that um, you have like a prologue that centers on your character solo and you find out like whatever trauma is happening to them that sets them out on a quest to mm. walk around the entire world and like stop the world from being garbage. And um, when you finish your opening prologue, you get a credits roll and you get this um, theme song by Hiroki Kakuda called uh, Meridian Child. I don't know what that means. None of the song tracks have uh none of them mean anything to me really (laughs) but it's like it's very cinematic in a way that uh was like the height of sophistication for video games when it came out and it was about to get a lot better because of cd-based systems that were shortly to debut but um it uh is a very stirring song and you see your character get on a ship and they all go to a central town and all six characters end up i think maybe one character goes somewhere else um they all end up in a central place and 
Uh, none of them know what they're doing there, and they're trying to figure out how their individual quests are going. And then slowly, your three characters end up tacking onto each other. And it's just a really lovely sequence to the point that I actually went through and played all the different prologues the first time through because I just wanted to see them all end up in the same place. Yeah. It's very, it's very charming in a way that is unique to the process of an RPG party forming, where it's like heartwarming and inspiring, and it's everything I like about video games. Yeah, um, that's that's great. And, you know, thankfully, no shortage of like RPG specifically that have that sort of thing of, a you know, group of people from around the world or whatever banding together to, uh, like you said, make the world not crap. Uh, mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I've listened to about the music. I've listened to plenty of uh, Secret of Mana music, whether it's like, oh, Super Nintendo, like three hour music loop to like do work at home. But I'm sure that this soundtrack is amazing too. So I've got a, this is more of a note for myself than an observation, but I need to put that on my list uh, the next time I'm working at my computer. Um, Now what I would like to know about is I would love, as we get into a little bit of the context, which you've thankfully like been uh, sprinkling in for us, I would love to do a little bit of scene painting for like what your setup was like or the room that you played this game uh, originally, if you don't mind us walking through that. So I grew up in a house in the country, L-shaped California style ranch home. I and my brother uh, have bedrooms on the second story, which is above the garage. And it's literally just like bedrooms, bathroom, and then a small like common room yeah. where there is a like crappy square color TV that no one else wanted. And it's existing above like the Windows computer that was one of the first computers we ever had. And uh, all video games until I think I got a PlayStation um, a few years later were played above the family computer. Oh, wow. Uh, a TV that was otherwise reserved for watching cartoons or like The Simpsons. Wow. So if so, that being above the computer mm-hmm. was like, I'm a ima- you know, imagine so many kids of that era, like sitting on the ground and playing this. Were you still able to do that? Were you standing up? No, we were on these uncomfortable wooden chairs that really sucked to sit in for more than an hour. It was just like all the furniture that like no one else wanted had made its way up to this common area. And uh, I love video games enough that I was withstood those incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> computer chairs. <laughs> to play through it was just not not an ideal experience i didn't know there was another way to do it until i started noticing like other people's setups and i was like oh this is much better like, yeah sitting on the floor is awesome and also bigger tvs exist um it took a while for my family to get hip to that yes uh that was not part of the universal a universal part of ga- a gaming experience um that's great uh would you uh, being this like common room, uh, was this a place that you would like spend a lot of time? Would you have uh, snacks? Do you remember some, was, were there windows? I'd love to know. Uh, the windows were the bathroom, the two bedrooms. There was no windows to this room. It was literally oh, really? just um, three doors and then the stairs going down and then the TV with my neck craned up. Oh my gosh. And people would come through and just sort of ignore what I was doing because <laughs> there was a real lack of understanding. Like, I mean, like, I'm the only one that kept up with video games and uh, the rest of the family really has never understood what I got out of video games. And Hmm. I'm just like, oh, this one, I really can't explain it to you. Either you get it or you don't. But um, I think they really thought like I was wasting my time Hmm. and I really think it was time well spent and we're never going to come to common ground on that. Yeah, uh, I think that's something that a lot of people whether it be you know in your situation where it seems like no one understood um 
uh, many of us, I feel like have gone through that of like, this is a waste of time. Like, what are you doing? And then, you know, here you are of making it like you mean you write a you write about games like so and even if you didn't not time poorly spent you don't have to justify it by like oh it's a part of my career um but i'm sorry you you know that that was something you felt and that you were going through um uh as far as the context uh is there anything else about that time uh that you would like to dig into or that you remember whether it be broad or specific um, hmm. I'm trying to think how to answer this question. And were you saying that this was the time where you had, you know, gone to this, the Catholic high school an hour away? Yeah. Dang. So I went to, a, I went to a K through eight, um, mm -hmm. which, so I didn't go to a regular middle school. It was like a really small Catholic school. And mm. like my graduating eighth grade class, I think was like, 17 kids, 18 wow. kids, it, it was not very big. And a lot of us had been together since we were really young. Yes. So like, I never had to really deal with new people because I was just had been there forever. And uh, then got sent to um, a better school far away because my parents thought it was a good idea. It really was not. Yeah. And um, <laughs> just had to be confronted for the first time of like, oh, I, I don't, I didn't learn basic so social necessities i've never had to like do the work of like introducing myself and making friends so i just mm. sort of didn't exist in the world of that high school yeah and um had to tr figure that out and sort of failed to figure that out and uh eventually got to go to the public school that was like a 10 minute drive from my house and was also much better for me because it had girls and um if anyone was going to listen to me when i was a teenager it was going to be girls and not other teenage boys it turns out yeah uh i'm i'm really glad that you eventually got to do that was that like did you spend a year at this other high school the first one or two mm. so you basically split up high school in that way yeah and then i got to be the new kid at my second high school and um i used it to my advantage because uh i'd already been through a bad experience so i was like i know how to do it right and fixed all the mistakes i made the first time around it was a much better experience oh my gosh i'm so, i'm so glad uh but i'm also you know really glad that you had uh, this game during that, you know, first uh, couple of years at bummer time, uh, uh, yeah. we have, go actually, ahead. Sorry. I think I stopped playing video games for the second half of high school because I actually had a social life at that point and was like going on dates and stuff. Yeah. So like, um, video games, who needs this? And then, <laughs> um, it took a long time. I think I did a lot of emulation my freshman year of college and then, yeah. uh, I bought a game boy advance the next year and have continued to do it ever since. But like, I think probably if there was any time when I put some distance between myself and video games, it would have been the last half of high school, like leading up to like 2000. Wow. Interesting. Um, that's amazing. I, I've really enjoyed, um, you know, hearing from you and learning more about you both, you know, in the context of this game, but outside of that, from this particular time in your life, um, before we move to the end of the show and do a couple post-show segments, um, is there anything you haven't got to share about this game or the, or the time you played it? Um, and if not, would you like to wrap up whatever place this did hold for you? You mentioned there's the time change mechanic in this game. Yes. So um, it is one of the things I still think about if I'm on a plane, actually. So like in Secret of Mana and this game, you don't have an airship, you ride a flying dragon. 
which is all right. And in the Secret of Mana, it's just like regular mode seven, like any sort of uh, airship. And it's like the airship in Final Fantasy VI, basically. Yeah. Um, but in this game, it cycles from day to night, and you can see little lights go on in the little villages below. Oh. And it is such a small detail that I love so much. But like, if I'm flying into, back into like the Burbank Airport at the right time of day, and it's the time of day when people start turning the lights on in the house and you're close enough that you can see them. It makes me think of Seeking Desetsu 3 every single time oh because I always was so charmed by that and be like, oh, it's the end of the day for these people. The people are going home for the end of the day. It's this wonderful, cozy feeling. And uh turns out you had to experience that at Burbank Airport too. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Bob Hope Airport, uh, for that uh, sensation. That's really... Do you know uh, they changed the name? They don't call it that anymore. Oh, but they don't? They took down all the Bob Hope signing. Now it says Burbank Airport. I don't know why they changed it, but the last time I flew in, there is no signage that says Bob Hope Airport anymore. Oh, my I, goodness. I don't know what happened. I'm not like, I, I don't think I could tell you much about Bob Hope, nor am I a stan, but like, that's that's too bad. Like, that was like kind of a distinct feature of it. Yeah. Huh. Um, but I probably will be thinking about um that the next time I fly in around uh, who knows sunset or whatever, and I see the same thing. Um, well, great. Uh, would you like to just um wrap up? Uh, you know, put a bow on whatever place this held for you. Let's put the bow in it. Awesome. Um, great. Uh, so, well, Drew, thank you so much for bringing this game on and talking about about it it's been so much fun because i'm you know incredibly familiar with the first one but not this so that's this was a privilege um i'll go ahead and lead us into our two post show segments the first of which is the fact me by your game segment where i'm just going to share a couple of fun facts with you about this game which you might already even know um the first of which i've got two of these today uh i have titled uh development team uh party member shuffle now production on this game uh, began in 1993, uh, which included a lengthy period of trial and error where several prototype designs of this game were uh, were made and then scrapped. Uh, the team also uh, had difficulties keeping team members, as many were brought on to other Super Famicom titles uh, like Chrono Trigger and Romancing Saga uh, for finishing touches. Uh, this... I always wonder, this is me, and I'm not um, not editorializing, but I'm making an observation here, where uh, watching video for this game uh, and many games of this style in this era, there's so much that visually uh, is so reminiscent of each other. And this game in particular, I was seeing like um, like areas or certain effects, like a, like a fog effect that I was like, oh my gosh, that is reminds me so much of Chrono Trigger or um, Final Fantasy VI. Um, so it was no surprise to me that there was crossover in development team members. Um, lastly, on this little part, programmers in particular were in high demand. And I guess at some point, uh, Hiromochi Tanaka remembered, uh, fighting with Hironobu Sakaguchi over staff on, on the different games that they were working on. So, um, yeah, I guess there was just a lot of, you know, shuffling and moving around on this game. I did not know that, and I didn't know those prototypes existed. And now I want to see what those prototypes look like and how they might have ended up getting repurposed as like other late era Squaresoft games. Yeah, yeah. I, w I wonder too because, like, I I also did a little reading that there was some detail about how this game was going to be more in line uh, as a direct sequel to The Secret of Mana. So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Um. But it would be interesting to see. Um, I, don't, 
I don't I don't think this came up on the episode you did with Nadia, yeah. but have you ever read about how Secret of Mana and Chrono Trigger are kind of like twins? I haven't, but I've had the thought myself just like looking at the games. Yeah, so if you look at Chrono and Marley from Chrono Trigger, they look like the boy and girl from Secret yes. of Mana, like very closely. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that is presumed to be one of the like vestiges of the fact that like these were initially one game. And oh. you can go back and see, it was supposed to be this like big epic thing that got cut down. And I think it actually began on the Nintendo, on the Famicom. Um, and then that's how long it was in development for. But uh, huh. these sort of uh, preliminary versions of these games are fascinating to me because it allows us to see like how stuff changed and grew and what the creative decisions being made were. But now I want to see if I can find the prototypes for this game because I've never seen them before. Yeah, I wonder if they're out there at all. That would be fun to see. Um, the second fact I have for you, uh, I have titled Satellaview Demo uh, that has question marks on it. Um, according to the Internet Archive, uh, there's a scan of a Japanese gaming magazine of which I could not find a name for. Um, and that there was actually a Satellaview demo of Second Densetsu 3 that was released on July 1st. 1995 uh, are you familiar with the satella view only through reading about all the cool stuff that we didn't get in america yeah. <laughs> um, so i like looked at playthroughs of weird builds of games that exist on that and nowhere else but i never have heard of anything related to secret of mana on there yeah i um i'm mostly familiar with it because there was i guess like satella view releases of a that was like a remix of the original legend of zelda game yeah and that's fast like the first time i saw that i was like what is that how yes. could we possibly have not gotten this and there's reasons but it feels like uh unfair denial yes uh i still want to play those versions um but so when i saw a detail about satellaview had to include it uh for the fun facts of this episode um just for the listener if you're not familiar the satellaview was a satellite modem peripheral produced by nintendo for the super famicom in 1995 which allowed players to download games magazines and other media through satellite broadcasts provided by the japanese company saint giga um it was released uh only in japan and was discontinued in June 30th, uh, 2000. But yeah, I guess there was a demo of this game way back when. And that's, I think about this a lot. Maybe it's because I'm a heavy, heavy retro knots listener or whatever, but uh, thinking about games that will not be preserved in the way that they were experienced, whether it's like a live service game right now, a Fortnite, something like that. And these like demos and whatever was on Satellaview, I think about as well. Um, yeah. That's really the end of my thought. Any any other thoughts on on this little fact? No, um, this is something that's like kind of only come to be something I care about in like maybe the last decade of my life. Sure. But like these little lost bits um, from video games that aren't preserved are fascinating to me because I really care about this as an art form. And I think it does deserve to be preserved, which is why um, I fully support the uh, Video Game History Foundation. Yes. All the work they do. But um, just for like just the sake that they matter on their own i get it but like talking about those like lost prototypes i think it is um we don't have a lot of information as to the creative processes of the people that made these video games unless they do like a roundtable interview yeah and um i wish there was a way to get more information of like how did you come to make this thing that meant so much to me what like what are the things that came together what did you draw inspiration from and i know that 
appetite exists in Japan as well, but even people who live there who could interview those people and speak fluent Japanese, they, they don't happen often enough. And uh, I just wish that we could get more collective muscle power in behind making these sort of documents exist. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I've been feeling something similarly lately. Um, like sometimes when playing a game, I wonder, especially, you know, being someone who also uh, writes and, and makes things, I sometimes when doing that, I don't have like a specific intention behind, especially if you're working on like a deadline. Yeah, I don't have a specific intention behind a certain choice. Oftentimes I do. And I wonder, like, I want to ask those sorts of questions. Uh, so um, anyway, that'll do it for the fact me by your game segment. And I'll lead us into the final one of the episode, the game recommendations. Now, Drew, as you've heard on previous episodes of the show, this is my one forced tie into the movie. Call me by your name, where I am going to treat Seiken Densetsu three as your passionate summer fling in Italy and it's not going to work out. You're going to break up and I'm going to do my best to give you three potential uh, new fling options, new dates, perhaps um, for you to get over this heartbreak that you have, because um, I find that familiarity goes a long way. So these are all going to have like something in common uh, with uh, the game you brought on for today. So first of which is uh, I'll go ahead and uh, recommend it. If, if what you took away from this game was that you loved the cast of characters, uh, that you found them uh, being with each other and and having their conversations was like the thing that really drew you in. Um, but you'd rather play, instead of an action RPG, you're looking for a modern JRPG. I'll recommend Yakuza Like a Dragon. Now, I'm almost sure you haven't played this since you uh, don't, since you have a Switch only. I have not, in fact, played this. I've only listened to Retronauts about the Yakuza series. Yes, a series that I have outside of this game zero experience with but this is uh it, i don't know how familiar you are with this title but for the first time they decided to make a, a like a proper jrpg it's got some stuff in common with like you know how in chrono trigger when you're in a battle like the characters might move around and that will change a possible strategy this has a lot of that um it's a i can i can't speak for every recommendation i can speak for this one and it's great so if you ever get the chance yakuza like a dragons out there um if what um what really did it for you was the was choosing between your main characters and you loved all the class systems that were possible uh i'll go ahead and recommend a game that you i think there's a chance you could have played this octopath traveler i know you played oh, triangle yes. strategy do you like octopath I do, and I love the vibe of these games, and it is modern 16-bit style updated in the right way. Yes. And that soundtrack is just so, so fucking good. Uh, yeah, that 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 is something I did latch onto and was successful with me. Haven't finished Octopath 2, though. I uh, don't know. I just got busy with work and yeah. need to go back to it, but um, it's one of those things where, like, if you fall off, you kind of forget where you are and kind of have to start over. But yeah. We'll, we'll do one day. Totally. I played – I was so excited for one – I did the demo. I left feedback. I played it for 55 hours, never finished it, uh, but loved it. And I have two, I, I have a sealed copy over here. Um, did you, in, uh, it sounds like you liked that one a lot as well. I heard from many people that it was an improvement in ways. How did you feel? I didn't get far enough with it to see how much of an improvement it mm -hmm. was, but um, I was told without getting too much spoiled for me that one of my principal objections to the first one is like, there kind of is no come together moment. Yeah. That I was looking for, which is a choice. 
and uh, I heard that was corrected to an extent, um, but can't say how well they okay. corrected it, but will one day, worth the experience, even if it didn't come together the way I wanted. It was a lovely game. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, so that's your second recommendation. And for your final one is, if true, for you, it's all about Kevin. If you love Kevin and you just need to play a game with a half beast, half human, and absolutely nothing else matters to you, I'll recommend Disney's Beauty and the Beast for the Super Nintendo. Uh, you had mentioned actually that you had been uh, familiar with some of like the, I think the Capcom Disney games from uh -huh. the era. Do you know? I mean, maybe you haven't heard of this game, but. Uh, oh, I've heard of it. So yes. here's the thing. Um, being a little gay boy and really trying to put out the uh, vibe that like I'm tough and like don't pick yes. on me and like leave me alone. I was terrified to publicly show any affection for the girly Disney thing. So Aladdin was okay, but Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, as beautiful as they were, I was like, I can't like these publicly yeah. because I'm worried people are gonna think I'm gay, um, which is a really weird thought process. But as a result of this, I never played this Beauty and the Beast game, which looks great and I've heard is great. And um, Plain as the Beast is like the least gay thing, honestly, but yeah, yeah you, you think it would have been okay. But it was, it was, I was, I was, I was, I was scared. I was scared to be who I wanted to be back then. Totally. I that that makes sense. So yeah, I guess like liking a property that's like, oh, the it's it's Aladdin first and Jasmine sort of the is the like the love interest as opposed mm -hmm. to like one of the, you know, premier princesses. That makes a lot of sense. Um I love to I was when you were talking about Kevin earlier, I was so satisfied because I was like, Oh great. Well, I've got the perfect recommendation for later, which is of course my goofy one for the day. But I'll run down the list too as we close out. We had for your recommendations today. Yakuza Like a Dragon, Octopath Traveler, and Disney's Beauty and the Beast for the Super Nintendo. That'll do it for the recommendations. That'll actually bring us to the end of the show. So uh, before we go and, and both plug whatever we'd like today again, Drew, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was really fun to get to know you, you know, outside of, uh, you know, we didn't need Patrick and Mark here. We love them, but it was good to have a one-on-one. -on -one. So thanks for doing this today. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, I need to confess that like I had some awareness of this show because people I know had been on it before. Mm -hmm. And the people I know on Twitter are usually gay people. So like Oscar was on it and Mono was on it. Yes. And I assumed because of the name, it's like, oh, it's like a gay video game podcast. Of course, yeah. But I hadn't listened to it yet. And then when I met you for the NCS thing, I was like, I don't think this guy's gay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was looking at the thing and I was like, I don't, I don't think these people are gay. I was like, oh, it is not what I thought it was. Yes. Now I understand why it's called that. But I was like, ah, confusing. And now has been clarified for me. And I enjoy the premise of this podcast. Thank you for making Oh, thank you. Sorry for the confusion. <laughs> and uh, thanks for giving it a shot and coming on anyway. Um, on our way out, I know we plugged a couple things earlier, but would you like to replug what you brought on? Gayest episode ever, podcast about gay TV, thrilling tales of old video games, website about th thrilling tales of old video games, and um, Singing Mountain is my video game music podcast that uh, probably you'll find some cool Seekin' Densetsu 3 music on there. I don't think I have Disney's Beauty and the Beast, but I might. I might. Ooh. I might have used a track here and there. It's, more than, it's a lot of episodes. So. Oh, we'll have to go ahead and uh, do a deep dive and find out. Um, but uh, thank you again. I'll go ahead and just close this out with some plugs of my own. Uh, the show art for Call Me By Your Game is done by Glenn J. You can find him uh, and his other great work on Instagram at Glenn with two N's dot J-A-Y. The show is produced, 
edited, and the music is by Jeremy Schmidt. Uh, if you want to give him a tip of the cap and a thank you for his contributions to my show, check out his podcast, Video Games, a Comedy Show, more of a roundtable-style show that you can get wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can find me on social media at uh, Connor underscore McCabe on Twitter and Instagram and at Connor McCabe on Blue Sky. Um, and you can also, of course, check us out on Patreon. If you like me and the conversations I have with people about video games, you're going to like a huge chunk of what you find over there. Uh, so if you want more shows and to support us financially, uh, check us out there. We've got different stuff at different tiers, including a monthly version of this show called the Call Me By Your Game co-op series, where I have people on uh, to discuss a game that we've either all played recently, a game from our past. It's um, more of a, it's less of a nostalgia-focused show uh, and more of just like a brief overview. Um, and coming up for October, which will be out by, the, I think by the time this podcast comes out, will be an episode on Firewatch, a great sort of walking simulator uh, narrative-focused adventure. But anyway, you know where to find that. The links are in the show notes. That'll do it for this episode of Call Me By Your Game. We will see you on the next one. Thank you.